This morning, Scripture comes to us uh, from 1 Samuel chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there as we uh, dig into God's Word together. Uh, If not, never fear, the words will be on the screen as well. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 13, we're going to be reading uh, verses 8 through uh, 14 as we together hear the Word of the Lord. So Saul waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings. And just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. And Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. And Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time... And that the Philistines were assembling in Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would establish your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. This is God's uh, word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. So we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for prayer? Gracious God, we do come before you thankful for your word, for the wisdom contained there. And Lord, we we ask that you would meet with us now in this space and this time that you would offer... uh, wisdom to us, that we would uh, know and understand uh, the meaning of your word, the depth of your heart, and the wisdom that we have there. We ask that that you would uh, convict us, that you would uh, uh, conform us into, uh, into your people one step at a time. And that in this, uh, in, in this time, as we reflect on your word, God, that you would reveal yourself to us in new and profound ways. Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see, our ears, that we would hear. Open our minds, that we would come to know and understand your word and your ultimate will. Open our hearts, that we would feel its power. And by your grace, I ask, oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few Saturdays ago, I was uh, up in the woodlands in the Alden Bridge area, and I was heading back uh, home uh, right around time that St. Anthony's was beginning uh, Sunday Mass. And, uh, and so if you've ever been kind of up near St. Anthony's as they're uh, having uh, folks pour into, into worship for Mass, uh, you, you know that sometimes the traffic gets a little dicey. Well, I was waiting there at the light uh, at Research in Kirkendall, and I pulled up behind this magnificently beautiful, really, really beautiful uh, matte gray uh, Mercedes uh, sports car. And right now I have a thing for the, the matte cars. Do you know what I'm talking about? Not, not the gloss, but the matte. Uh, it's really awesome. And so, uh, 
And, and so I, I think to myself, I, I covet your car. Uh, more than your car, I covet, I covet your paint job. I actually uh, am thinking, how can I paint my truck? matte anything it, it doesn't even matter the color just make it matte and i will love it and uh and so this is what i'm thinking as i'm pulling up behind this car and uh and we we, we pull uh down south on kirkendall and as we get to that traffic uh everything's kind of backed up and we're at a standstill people are waiting to turn in you know people have the turn signal on in front of the the dude in, in the in the matte mercedes it's so beautiful and uh but but you you could see in his car's language you know not body language but in his car's language like the way that he's like like on and off the the brake and and uh, you could hear his his engine revving which is all the more glorious and uh and and then as as he as the person in front of him turns in though like his frustration uh reaches like an expression out into the world as he straight just guns it like right in front of saint anthony like so hard that the exhaust fires off you know with a loud pop and uh and and he just races down that little two-lane road right by uh right by the lake at carlton woods and and i'm thinking to myself wow who is this dude and why does he so lack in patience you know like like it people are turning in to go to worship god and you're gonna like pop your exhaust at him as you drive by this, this dude's a clown is what i'm thinking to myself uh it's 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 an overgrown child with a toy um and, and then as i pull up next to him at the light at lake woodlands because that's what happens because it's a two-lane road and we all land at the same light at the same time <laughs> so popping your exhausted squat as i pull up next to him at the light at lake woodlands you know what i realize I look over at him, and I see myself. Because I'm that guy. I got no patience. I'm, I'm, I'm devastatingly impatient. To a fault, to a flaw, and so as I come to this fruit of the Spirit, I, I think any one of you uh, would do a better job coming up and proclaiming God's word on this, to on this topic. I'm not a patient person. I, I lack, uh, I feel as though I lack that gift. And, 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 and so whenever I see an impatience around me, I see myself, honestly, because that's who I am. That's where I am most days. But I'm confronted by God's word because God's word is, is clear and articulate that, that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit, that the Spirit of God, as gifted to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, has equipped us with the power to be patient. Not, not just to be, but, but we are, as Christians, we are the Spirit of patience within us. And so we carry that out in the world, and so when we're, when we're acting impatient, we're, act, we're actually acting opposed to the Spirit of God in us. We're in conflict with God's Holy Spirit. I'm in conflict with God's Holy Spirit when I'm living an impatient life. And that example of, 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 of the car, you've been there, I've been there. 
Or maybe you're not because this isn't as much of a struggle for you. Bless you, teach me. I need to learn from you. But it seems like a small thing. But if we actually want to start exercising patience, then then I encourage us to begin with the small things because we're not going to be patient in the big things until we're patient in the small things. Do y'all get that? It's, It's the small things that build one after another after another until we're living a life of patience. So when we're faced with those big things, we're able to, the, to exude that spirit-filled patience in the world. Starting with the small things and allowing it to grow to help us in the big things. What are those big things? Some of us, uh, we've been single, we are single, and, and we're, we're, we're growing impatient because we we, we think that God has someone out there for us, and so we're impatient, and we don't sit well in the waiting, and we grow frustrated and anxious. Some of us ha- have been, have been uh, awaiting an opportunity at work, and, and, and we keep thinking that now is the time, now is the space that that opportunity is going to be manifest in our lives, and we're finally going to arrive at that space that we have been looking for for years and years and years, and we're growing impatient, and our angst is rising some of you have had certain goals for your family. Maybe it's having kids. Maybe it's moving into a certain uh, space uh, for your family to have what you believe is the most uh, thriving situation possible. And you've been waiting and things don't seem to be lining up. Opportunity does not seem to be presenting itself. And so you grow anxious and impatient. Big things. For many of us, there are big things in our lives that cause us to grow impatient and weary in our impatience. And that's what we have for Saul here. Saul's faced with a really big thing, uh, what it means to be called by God, to wait on God, and yet in the midst of the waiting, we, we, we find him impatient and unfaithful. Because those two things, as we'll find as we study together, are tied together that our faithfulness and our patience are bound up with one another. So here's the the situation for Saul. So Saul has just been anointed king over Israel. God has done this and called Samuel to do this. The people have asked for a king. God has responded and finally relented into their desire and given them a king. And so uh, in in chapter 10, just a uh, a few verses before what we read in chapter 13, we hear from, uh, from, from Samuel about this anointing, and Samuel uh, gathers the people of God together, and there is Saul, Saul in this space, and he anoints him king, and then he gives him instructions, and he gives him critical instructions about what it means to enter into this process of becoming king. Okay, and, and the culmination of that is actually in, in verse 8 of chapter 10, his final instruction, the last piece of instruction that Samuel gives to Saul. He says this, go down ahead of me to Gilgal, And I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. Samuel as a prophet of God, listening to God and then articulating to Saul what God wants for Saul. The instructions seem quite clear, don't they? You're going to go to Gilgal. You're going to wait seven days. Into seven days, I'm going to come. 
We're going to worship God. It's going to be awesome. At the end of worshiping God, God's going to tell us what you're going to do. And so then Saul proceeds. He goes through different situations. He's, he's established as king, not just anointed king, but amongst the people he's established as king. He has a couple of, of, of victories on behalf of the Lord. And then, uh, and then uh, they, they have a, a big party. You know, if you get a new king, you should throw a party. And so they throw a party, and everybody celebrates, and everybody's joyful, and Saul is established, anointed, and established as king. And then Saul arrives at Gilgal. He arrives at that place that Samuel gave him instruction about, and in that space, we see Saul's uh, testing, his patience tested. You, you've articulated that phrase uh, maybe to your kids or your parents have articulated it to you. You're testing my patience, right? Uh, okay, uh, we use that phrase at my home because my kids test my patience. So if, if, if you wondered what testing of patience looked like, God here is testing the patience of Saul with very specific instructions and so how, how does he experience this testing? I think he experiences uh, uh, this testing in the same way that most of us experience this testing. Uh, the, the first way is from external pressures. External pressures cause our patience to be tested. There are two parts of this for Saul. The first is the, 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 the reality of what the Philistines have going on. So, so here's Saul, and he's with his troops, and they're here at Gilgal, and they look off in the distance, and what do they see? They see the Philistines. They see the Philistines, they, they see their enemy, and here's what their enemy looks, looks like. Their enemy has 3,000 chariots and 6,000 charioteers. They got more, more people than they got, they got equipment. They got that many people. In fact, when you have 6,000 charioteers for 3,000 chariots, it means that you actually have the ability to have one person driving, and they don't have to fight one-handed because they got another one in the back that's able to do the fighting for them. It's an overabundance of warriors. And then uh, to top it off, the, the word of God articulates for us that it's not just these 3,000 chariots and 6,000 charioteers, but in, on top of that, they have enough warriors, enough army, that it cannot be counted. When they look upon this army, it, they look out and they, they articulate it like this. They have so many that it looks like the amount of sand on the seashore. Can you count the amount of sand on the, sea, on the seashore? No. I dare you to try. Uh, it would probably be difficult. You would grow weary very quickly. As they were when they looked out and were trying to count how many troops do they have that are coming against us. This is an external challenge that he's facing. An external pressure. And, and so he's sitting here and he's like, I'm supposed to be patient. I'm supposed to be patient. I have been given instructions. This is what my life is supposed to look like right now. But this is not what my life is supposed to look like right now. These people that are going to come upon me, it's calling him. What is it calling him? It's calling him to action. It's calling him to be definitive. It's calling him to be strong. It's calling him to be powerful. And so this pressure is, is, is rising, and he's thinking that he has to do something. The second external pressure is this. He's gathered there with his troops, and his troops see what he sees. And what do his troops do when they see what he sees? They don't do what troops are supposed to do. They hide in rocks and caves. They, uh, they run away 
and flee as far as they can. And so here is Saul, and he looks out upon the, the, the army that's there, pressure. He looks at his army, and he says, where'd you go? Oh, you're behind the drum. Oh, you're, oh yeah, you're back there. The, the, and he thinks to himself, how am I supposed to be king? How am I supposed to be God's king with all of this coming upon me? When you face one of these challenges in your life, it's almost always going to come with an external pressure. There's something about the situation that you're in, the circumstances you find yourself in, that creates a sense of deadline, timeline, uh, additional stress, additional challenge to, to make that thing look so big that you have to do something, even if something isn't what you need to be doing. Maybe you're just called to patience. The second kind of struggle that Saul experiences is one that, that I know really well, and it's that internal struggle. And, and, and it's that thing inside of us that, 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 that cries out for action when inaction might be the right thing. It's that thing that, that, that cries out and says, uh, you really can't be patient any longer. You have to do something. Uh, and and to, to a certain extent, it comes from a sense of expectations. You think to yourself, uh, wow, I, I, I'm king. I'm leader. I'm leader in, in, my, in my business. I'm leader in, in my family. I'm leader in this circumstance or this challenge. And so if I'm the leader, then, then what is a leader supposed to do? Lead. It's time to go. Let's do something. Right? And so you as the leader, instead of finding yourself patient and waiting and listening, you find yourself out in front and saying, well, where are the people that are supposed to be leading? Because you're so far out in front that they're nowhere to be found. That's that in internal pressure. That title, personal expectation, raise up within us and call us to something that is entirely faithless. It lacks integrity. It lacks godly vision. And we're called to something so much more. The second internal pressure is, is opportunity. For Saul, it looked like this. I've just been anointed and then celebrated as king. But if I want to be a king that they love, this is his inside thoughts. If I want to be a king that they love, if I want to have the strength that they would follow, if I want to present myself in such a way where I can be a king of kings, God's chosen king, then I have to do something. And so they establish, he establishes in himself this false sense of deadline, this understanding of opportunity that has to be met, and it's all rooted in a sense of brokenness. Because as they continue in this, in this period that leads up to chapter 13, there's, there, there's a portion of, of, of Scripture that I, that I didn't articulate for you. And it comes right before Samuel leaves 
uh, knowing that Samuel is going to come back after seven days. And so here's what it looks like. So, so the people of God, they asked for a king. God didn't want to give them a king. They asked for a king. God didn't want to give them a king. They asked for a king, and finally God gave them a king. And so then whenever Samuel's about to leave and says, you have your king, we've anointed him, he's been established, you have your king. And so in that space of having their king, Samuel then meets with the people right before he leaves. And the people say, Samuel, pray for us. Please, Samuel, pray for us. Pray for our forgiveness because we know God didn't want to give us a king and we asked for a king anyway. We know that we were foolish in that, that we were broken and sinful in that. Pray for us. Please, Samuel, pray for us. And so Samuel says, I will pray for you because I love you. And here's what my prayers are going to include. I'm going to pray that, that you're able to withstand uh, the temptation that's going to come. And here's what that temptation looks like. It comes in 1221. Chapter 12, verse 21. It says, uh, Samuel says to, to the people, do not turn away after, that means to begin going after, useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. I think the specific articulation that, that Samuel's giving as a prophet at that moment in time is, is a prophetic word that, that you're going to be tempted to make this king God. You're going to be tempted to, to say, we have a king now, we don't need God. And, and if we don't need God, we could be self-reliant, self-determined, and we can accomplish what we need to accomplish on our own and Samuel says, guard yourself against that. That temptation is real and true, and, and, and it is going to rise up against you as an idol. Do not let that idol have any power in your, in your soul. And so we have this, this moment that Saul finds himself in seven days after being in Gilgal. Day one, what does that pressure feel like? As he grows more and more impatient, day two, day three, day four, where is his breaking point? Can he be patient any longer? With all the pressures, without and within, how is he going to act? Day five, day six, day seven, how is he going to be able to remain patient and faithful to God? And so he does reach his breaking point. The beginning of the day, on the seventh day, Saul says, I can wait no longer. It's time for me to lead. It's time for me to be king. It's time for me to be who God established me to be. Or maybe the true articulation of that is, I'm going to now substitute myself for God and forget about waiting. So he goes ahead with his offerings, and I love the way the scripture says it. As soon as he's done being disobedient, exhibiting his impatience, at that very moment that that impatience culminates, what happens? Samuel walks up. If he would have just been patient for that much longer. What would the history of Scripture look like? And we draw this in sharp contrast. Sharp contrast across First and Second Samuel. The difference between, uh, between Saul and David. Saul, who could not be patient for seven days, 
And if you remember the story of David, David and Goliath, David who is anointed king uh, and yet is not established as king for at least 15 years. So we have one that couldn't wait seven, but one that did wait. And on multiple occasions had opportunity to take it for his own, but did not. Waited for 15 years. And was found faithful. Was found faithful. You see, I think that that's at the root of what it means to be patient. To be patient is to be strong. It's to be strong not because it's our own strength, but because it's God's strength. Being patient isn't about what we can accomplish by waiting, but what God can accomplish in us and through us by waiting. And that's what faithfulness looks like. It's knowing that God's plan is the best plan. God's way is the best way. And if we would be patient to let God's plan reveal itself for us, listening in in that way, then we would be blessed by God in the midst of our waiting. But let's be practical for a minute. Some of you are thinking to yourself, well, God never told me to wait seven days in Gilgal. True. Probably. Anyone? Anyone? Seven days in Gilgal? No. And, and some of you are saying, well, God never anointed me king and told me to wait for 15 years. That's probably also true, uh, just by statistics. So, uh, so, but here's the deal. Remember, uh, if we're able to be patient in small things, we'll be able to be patient in big things. I got two different examples. One, one I, I, was, I was mentoring uh, a woman in the church years and years ago, and, uh, and, and she actually allowed patience to be crippling for her. Uh, her desire for patience uh, ended up being, uh, being disabling to where she was, was stuck in inaction. And she said, I, I want to be patient. I want to listen to the Lord, and whatever the Lord tells me to do, I'm going to do it. And she would listen and listen and listen, but she never heard anything. Never heard anything from the Lord. And, and, and I, said, I said, I wonder if the Lord is, is, is releasing you for something, uh, but, but we're, we're not paying attention. And so we prayed together, and it, it was a struggle for her. And whether it was job stuff or family stuff or, or, or location for her, for her family life, all of those things, it, she just felt crippled. And I, I don't want you to feel crippled. I want you to feel empowered. I want you to feel empowered by the Spirit because this is the fruit of the Spirit, and the Spirit is in you. And if the fruit of the Spirit is in you, then you are, you're, you're given patience for a purpose. So I want to articulate another example of what that looks like. So I had a, a really good friend that um, uh, she's, a, she's a counselor, and uh, she has an incredible practice, and she does incredible work, and she's been very successful. And uh, and, and the word about her success and about her faithfulness had spread across the industry. And, and, and there's this really um, prestigious group that had an opening in their facility uh, that, 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 that actually had a space for a new counselor to come in and lease. And so, so they came to her. They came to her of all people. They could have chosen anybody. They came to her because anybody wanted to be in the group. Everybody wanted to be in that group because that's where, that's where, that's where you go. That's, where you, that's the next thing, right? That's the big thing. And so they came to her and said, uh, hey, we got this spot. If you want it, it's yours. And she was like, wow, that's humbling. Like, that's, that's a big deal. Like, that's, that's the next thing, that, the, the next rung, uh, next accomplishment. And so it, she could have just said, yeah, let's do it. Let's pull the trigger. I'm going to make it happen. But instead, she said, I want to uh, call other people to journey with me and pray about it because where I am is good, too. And they hadn't done anything wrong, and that space has been faithful, and I have a good practice. And so she began praying. 
And she actually invited other people to pray. She invited her family to pray. She invited, she invited me to pray. She invited other people in, 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 her, in her community life to pray with her. And, and I want to tell you that this was like a grueling season of prayer. Like it was a waiting period that did not feel short. Uh, I have no clue how long it really was, but it felt like it was at least six to eight weeks. And, and early on, maybe after the second week, I was like, hey, I think this opportunity might go away. Like this is such a big deal. You need to like go to them and maybe like that will give God a deadline, right? We could give God a deadline, and, and you're going to go to them, and you're going to say, hey, how long do I have to make this decision? Because this decision is that kind of important, and, and I'm praying about it, I'm discerning it, and I'm trying to make the right, the right decision, but I don't know what the right decision looks like. And, and so she went to them. And do you know what they said? Take as long as you need. That was exactly the opposite of what they were supposed to say. They said, they said, we know you, we, know, we, we want you, you're the right person, uh, we, we believe you're approaching this in a faithful manner, you're listening, you're discerning, you've called other people in, you're trying to make a decision that is right and true and faithful, good, we're going to give you as long as it takes. We're going to leave it empty, we're going to lose money, we're going to lose money in order to let you wait. <laughs> and so she waited, and she waited, and every time she saw me, it was like, did the Lord tell you something? I was like, oh, that's what a pastor's supposed to be. The pastor's the one that gets the message that y'all don't get. I understand y'all are all going to bring something to me, and you're going to be like, hey, what's the Lord going to tell you about that? And I'm going to say, we're going to pray about it together, because here's the deal. Here's what happened. So so the Lord, Lord gave me nothing. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, like, everything I had was, like, practical wisdom, right? Nothing of, of the Lord. Uh, and, and, and as we prayed, we were waiting, and that's all it was. It was, was an exercise of faithful patience. And then one day she came to me, and she said, um, did the Lord tell you anything? No, the Lord didn't tell me anything. Did the Lord tell you anything, I said to her. She said, um, actually, uh, it wasn't what I expected. She said, I, as I was praying, I had something happen that I've never had happen before. She said, the, the, the Lord told me, I trust you. To make this decision. That, that both opportunities are good and righteous and faithful. And I'm going to be with you in either direction. And that was such a learning for me. I think that patience is about faithfulness. And patience is also about wisdom. And wisdom comes not just in direct and defined answers. But wisdom also comes from understanding what it means to be in line with the heart of God. And for, 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 for your heart to meet God's heart and for God's heart to direct your path and for you to, to, to know what that relationship looks like and means and that that relationship can mean something even more profoundly potent than you had thought, thought possible, thought plausible. And so God can meet with us in patience, not just so we exude faithfulness, but also so God's wisdom will be ours by the power of the Spirit. So if, if patience isn't your gig, 
if you find it hard, start with the small things. Prepare your heart and mind and soul by being patient in the small things because those small things will add one upon another until the Lord will grant you peace in the patience, another fruit of the Spirit, peace in the patience, so that as you wait, you will be faithful and you will receive God's holy wisdom, that Spirit of God in your life. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we do trust you. We trust you to lead us, to move in us, and to create space for us, uh, to, to be patient. Lord, at this time, I know that there are, uh, there, there are countless things that each and every one of us uh, are called to, to exude a, a gift of patience in. So I ask that you would speak to us now, that you would speak in our hearts and our minds, that we would know where you're calling us to patience. Lord, empower us there, that very place, by the power of your spirit, so that we might be granted that holy gift of patience, that we would wait on you, that we would be faithful to wait on you, that you would offer us wisdom and learning and strength, that we would grow in our knowledge of you, and that we would live that out in the world. Lord, this world needs a dose of patience. Let it start with us this day. Lord, as we continue in worship and we enter into this time of offering, we ask your blessing upon uh, these gifts, uh, those that, that, that offer themselves to you. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would bless these givers, that, that their lives would be transformed through that gift of generosity that you've placed within them. And Lord, we ask as well that you would uh, bless these gifts to transform this world, that this community uh, would be transformed by the power of these gifts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a brief invitation before the ushers come. Um, our brothers and sisters that were impacted by Hurricane Dorian, uh, uh, we have an opportunity to help. We have an opportunity to serve them. Uh, at, in the United Methodist Church, we have this awesome organization called the United Methodist Committee on Relief. And they go on our behalf all across the world to those, uh, uh, to those global needs uh, in a way of responding to disasters. 100% of your gifts that are given would go to UMCOR, and 100% of those gifts go directly to the people in need in the Bahamas and across the eastern seaboard. All you have to do is memo a check uh, for Dorian, or you can go to covenantconnects.life, and there's a drop-down on the give page. We're going to leave it open for uh, the remainder of the week. And then, uh, and then we're going to send those gifts on to bless the people that were impacted by Dorian. We received gifts in our community from Harvey two years ago. Uh, and uh, it's, our, it's our blessing to be able to offer those gifts uh, to our brothers and sisters that have been affected.